0: Good morning. Have a seat. Uh, great to see y'all. Um, if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, I would love to say hi uh, as you leave. My name is Fred. I get to be the lead pastor here. And listen, I'm so glad that you have joined us today. Uh, whether you're here in person or joining us online, uh, we are glad to have you today. We're going to take communion together. That's what this stuff is. Uh, if you're wondering when uh, we're going to do like crackers and juice in the cups again. Um, it's going to be when we finish using up all these. (laughs) So we'll do that first and then figure out the other, all right? Um, uh, So, because we've got more. We didn't know. We didn't know how long this thing was going to... We didn't know. We didn't know. So we've got some. All right. But what that also means is if you're at home watching, uh, go ahead and grab some elements so you can take communion with us together at the end. Because here's what we're going to do when we do communion. As we go through today's message, uh, I'm also going to lead us at at the end of today's message in a time of uh, private confession uh, and repentance. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, based on the text that we're going to go through today... I'm going to ask you to dig a little deep today, right? I'm going to ask you to embrace the fact that, like Matt said, this place is a sanctuary, right? As we gather together, there's something unique that the Holy Spirit does here. And so this place is a holy place. This place is a sacred place because of what Jesus is doing in and through us together. And so as we take communion, I want you to start preparing your heart to be able to embrace that, Uh, as we talk about confession here at the end and look at kind of the heart behind confession. All right, deal? All right, well, let's go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23 is what we're going to be covering today. And and as you're turning there, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want some feedback to this uh, because we're going to talk about traditions today. And so I wonder, uh, think about Christmas, right? What are some of your traditions around christmas right like what's something that's always served at the christmas table right just shout it out like what what's something cookies nice what else what turkey you're a turkey at christmas people oh your mom okay well okay okay (laughs) okay what else Oh, you're my people. Yes. Medium rare? Yes. 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 What time? We're coming over. Because that sucker's gotten expensive. Right? Merry Christmas. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. What else? What, how about, um, which by the way, as I was preparing this, I realized that from today, Christmas is 19 Saturdays away. Which is really like 20 weeks, but still, it sounds really close when you say 19 Saturdays, isn't it? All right, what about first day of school? How many of you uh, do the first day of school picks out in the front of the house, right? Yes. How many of you did that, like, all the way through high school? Like, you've got the kindergarten and the senior picture. Yes. Any college, send them off to college and take the pics. Any of you college students, send a picture to your parents. Huge brownie points, by the way, if you do this. On the first day of school, in front of your dorm or something like that. Like, mom cries when she gets that. Like, just so you know, big brownie points if you do that, right? Like, we all have these traditions around things, don't we? And some of those traditions are really fun did you do you realize that that we even have traditions around church right like actually, much of what we do on Sundays uh, has evolved from traditions right this this building that we gather in, which I am super thankful for, and if you haven't heard the story of of us being given this space by the church that was here like Talk to me about it. It's incredible. It was, it was definitely a God story, is a God story. And we're incredibly thankful for this building. But when you, when you look at the New Testament and you look at the old, uh, the, 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 the church in the New Testament, like they didn't meet in buildings like this, right? They met in homes. They met in theaters. They met in, in coliseums. They met in public gathering places, right? They, they sang songs like we do. But guess what? Their songs they sang were in a different language, right? Like, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. Mind blown, right? Like, like, like I thought I didn't realize that until later on in my Christian life. I just kind of thought. And then people were talking about Greek and Hebrew. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. But in my head, I pictured the early church singing in English. Right? They did They sang songs. They sang hymns and spiritual songs, much like we do. That, that was in a, a different language. They took communion together, right? But, like, when they did it in the early church, it was a meal that they gathered around. It wasn't these cute little cups, right? Like, things were different. And listen, I'm not saying that we need to go back to what the early church did. Although, wearing robes and togas would be very comfortable, Right? on a Sunday morning, not culturally appropriate, but very, very comfortable. Right, So I'm not saying we need to go back, but 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 what I'm saying is that we need to understand much of what we do with church is based on tradition. Right, and in, in the same way, what they were doing with the early church, because what they were doing is they were taking how they understood following Jesus and putting that in the context of where they lived and when they lived. And that's the stuff that made sense to them. Which is why we do the stuff that we do. We try and figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in this time and in this place. And that's where those traditions are born. But here's what traditions can do, right? Traditions can get so ingrained into our beliefs and into our culture that we begin to have questions about another person's spirituality if they don't hold to the same traditions that we do, right? Right? That's where tradi- tra- traditions can kind of be on the slippery slope. And we all do this, right? Like, like, if someone is the opposite political view of me, and for me, like, just so you know, like, I am, I am a staunchly, like, independent voter, right? I am, I am across the board. I look at candidates. I do research. I vote for who I think best matches what I want. That's what voting is, right? Like, like I do that. I'm, I'm staunchly independent. But it's those subcategories, Right? Like if people vote for someone different that, that disagrees with different subcategories, right? I have questions about their faith, right? Anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. What about different church practices? Like there are some practices that go on in, in the church. Um, some of them were more prominent 10, 20 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago than they are today there was something in my heart that when they practiced spirituality, Christian, faithful, Jesus-following people, questioned, you know, practiced it differently, I wondered if they were just in it for the show. Right? And like, like in, in, in particular, I'm talking about if, if you've been around church for a while, you know there, there was this big movement of, of being slain in the Spirit that was going through, and it may still be there, I don't know, but, but, but that was the big deal. And, and that's when I was doing mission work, and I was working in this church in Africa and, and uh, the pastor was preaching, and people were getting slain in the spirit. And, and he had, like, this concrete floor in the church. And, like, the woman in front of me, and slain in the spirit, by the way, is, is, is this belief that when the spirit overtakes you, you just kind of pass out, basically. And she did, and she hit the concrete floor, and I saw her head, like, hit and bounce a little bit. And I walked up to the preacher afterwards. I said, you know, something to consider. In the States, we have catchers. Right, so when somebody gets slain in the spirit, we have someone there to catch them. And his response was, this is the filter. If the spirit slays them, the spirit saves them. I said, you know, <laughs> if that was happening in the States, we'd have a lot less people slain in the spirit, right? Like, because like, like, that was, my, that was my, my judgment coming out on the traditions that actually they were in it for the show. And see, I think, like I said, you don't have to raise your hand, but do y'all do that too? Like if somebody practices different traditions, do you judge them and judge them and condemn them? Well, if so, then it might be an indicator that you're holding on to a tradition more tightly than you need to. right? And, and, and the good news is Jesus is going to talk to us about that. I say it's good news. It's going to sting a little bit, but it's good news, all right? Because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to do this. He's going to show us what happens when we hold on to traditions too tightly, right? Can Christmas be Christmas without standing ribrows? The answer is no. I mean, it can, but it's really hard. Yes, it can. We have done it. We have done it. It can, right? Can can a group of Jesus followers really follow Jesus together with different political views? Can a group of Jesus followers really follow Jesus together with different spiritual practices even? And let's see what Jesus has to say about this today. Read verse uh, chapter 7 verse 1 says this. This says now when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, and that is unwashed. Now, let me tell you what's going on here. So there's this, this, this group of people called the Pharisees. We've talked about them before, right? All right? They're a group of people who deeply valued following the law, like letter, word, following the law. Right, their favorite word, verse was, Be holy as I am holy right? That was their goal was to be holy. And, and, and what they would do is they would take God's law, the stuff that God said do and don't do in the Old Testament and the practices that we see in the Old Testament, and they would say, those are great and we want to make sure we don't break those. So they created all these other rules to follow so that if you broke those, you wouldn't be breaking God's law, right? That's kind of what the Pharisees did. There's also this group of people there called the scribes, and what the scribe would do is is what you think of is is they would write. They would copy uh, the Torah from one place to another, and so they were experts on what God's law said, right? These groups of people had come to hear what Jesus had going on. Right? They had heard about him, and they wanted to question him and, and see if he was legit. And when they see Jesus and, and, and his disciples together, they're shocked by something. They're shocked because his disciples have unclean hands. Right Now, we might read that and think of that feeling we get when we're in a public bathroom and we see a person leave the stall and just walk out. Right? I have thoughts. Right? Parents, like when your kids sit down to dinner, what's one of the first things you ask them? Do you wash your hands? Because you know, chances are, they didn't. Right? And you don't want a meeting with, with unclean hands. Well, what we're going to see is what the, what the Pharisees and scribes are questioning is something a little bit different than that. Right? Because Mark's going to give us a a, a little parenthesis to explain what was behind the Pharisees' questions. Because Mark knows that people that he's going to be reading this letter, people that are going to be hearing this letter be read out loud, are like us. We didn't grow up in Jewish homes. We might not be as familiar with what he, he has said. And so, so look at verse 3. It says this. This is his little parenthesis. He says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, right? And so Mark is letting us know what's happening here. What's happening here is that Mark knew that people like us, like I said, would be reading what he wrote, right? And so he's given us this little peek about what's going on behind here. And notice a couple of phrases stand out because we're going to unpack this. Notice who is expected to wash their hands, to ceremonially wash their hands before they eat, right? Verse 2 says all the Jews are expected to do this, right? Everyone is expected to do this. Why? Because it also says they're holding to the tradition of the elders, right? I think I said verse 2, but, you know, it's in what we just read, right? They're the holding on to the tradition of the elders. y'all, Here's... Here's what happened that I find is fascinating, because we, we do the same things, right? The Pharisees want to obey God's laws, which is good. Like, like, like they wanted it not just for themselves, but they wanted it for, for every person who was Jewish to follow God's laws. Like, yay, Pharisees, right? That's my, I, want, I want y'all to do what God asks you to do in his word. Like, I get that. I get that. But, but, but here's what they did. Right uh, in God's word in Exodus thirty, uh, it says that the priests who are serving in the temples, right? So, so their job is to prepare the temple to serve people in the temple. That if you were a priest, according to Exodus thirty, there were certain times you had to ceremonially wash your hands as you prepared stuff for the temple and as you served the people, and that was part of the law for the priest, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, like, my home is my castle, right? Well, the Pharisees took that and said, no, 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 your home's not your castle. Your home is your temple. And what's good for the priest should be good for everybody. Right, And so not only do the priests need to wash their hands ceremonially before they serve people, before they they work in the temple. What what you need to do, if you're a good Jewish following God person, is you need to wash your hands in your home as if you're a priest. Because you're serving your family and you're preparing a meal. and, And this meal is this opportunity to come together and worship God together as you eat. And it all sounds really good. But what they did is they took God's word, making a command for someone specific, and made it a command for everyone, right? And this is a clue of the traditions that we need to either hold with an open hand or get rid of completely. Because here's what unhealthy traditions do: is they take something that is true for some and make it true for all, right? And, and like, here's how we do this in the in the church world, like. We expect those who uh, aren't Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers, right? We expect those who don't know Jesus to have the same moral code as those who do. And here's the hard part of that. We, as followers of Jesus right who have who have said yes to Jesus to yes to him being our our savior yes to him his death and resurrection dealing with the power and penalty of our sin Yes to Jesus means that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living in us individually and in us together. And that is true of Jesus' followers. It is not true of those who don't follow Jesus. The Spirit of God is around them, but there is something different that happens when we say yes to Jesus. And y'all, we have a hard time living up to our moral code. Right? An unhealthy tradition expects somebody who doesn't have the power of God in them to live up to it is not going to work. And we do that, don't we? We do that. You see, like the Pharisees, this decision to take this tradition and turn it into an unhealthy tradition is because they held on to it too tight. Because how do we know? Look at this in verse 5. Verse 5 says this, it says, and the Pharisees said to the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, being Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now we're gonna camp out on this verse just a little bit, and then we're gonna pick up pace to go through the other the other <clears throat> 18 verses or so. Because what happens here in verse 5 is they come to Jesus and they say, Hey, hey, <clears throat> you, why are your disciples doing this? Now notice. The words here. Why are your disciples, right? Like they came to check out Jesus. Like what's he teaching people? Is he a rabbi? Does he have authority? And he's and they're asking questions about why don't your disciples ceremonially wash their hands before they eat? You see they don't just question this incident but, but look at their words because these this, chap, this verse has these markers of an unhealthy tradition. When they say why do your disciples, right? They're immediately condemning, right? Because at that table that they saw people eating with Jesus were their brothers and sisters of the faith. There were Jewish people sitting at that table, and they didn't say, hey, why do my brothers and sisters not wash their hands, right? They didn't say, why why do my fellow Jews not do this? Their first words are, Jesus, why do your disciples do this? Which also shows us something else that an unhealthy tradition does, is that it causes us to condemn those God calls us to love. right? Because that's what they're doing. Jesus, why do your disciples do this? You see, unhealthy traditions are the reasons that we separate ourselves from genuine followers of Jesus. And here's why I say genuine followers of Jesus. Like, there are times where we separate ourselves, right? And I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but, but in this context, that wasn't one of those times, right? It was a time for them, right, to be unified and to come together and say, Jesus, I'm curious, what's going on here? But instead, they condemn. It'd be like us saying, you know, I read all these verses in the New Testament, Jesus, I get it. Like, we're to be unified and to to bear with one another's burdens and to love each other. But in our heart, we say, surely you don't mean that about me and them. Right? The church down the street. The person sitting across from me in my small group. Right? Like, surely you don't mean that for me and them. Right? And like I said, with genuine followers of Jesus, there are times that we do separate, right? There are times where the primary issues of our faith are compromised and we do need to separate, right? And those primary issues of our faith are, 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 are things about Jesus. Is he the only way to salvation or is he not? If somebody says, yes, it's about Jesus and we separate from them because it's not. Right? There are certain moral codes that are clear in the New Testament. Like, listen, y'all, if I was here with my wife, my girlfriend, and my boyfriend, we should separate. Right? Like, y'all have a reason to come to me and be like, this isn't what Jesus is asking of us as Jesus followers. And if you're going to continue this lifestyle, you can't continue it here. Right? That's Matthew 18. There are times that we do that. But there's also these, the, in these primary issues, we separate genuine believers from those who don't follow Jesus. But there's also like these secondary issues, right? These secondary issues that, that, that there may be issues where we disagree theologically. There may be issues where we disagree about, about the, 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 the practices of the faith, but we still celebrate one another. We still work with one another, right? That's why, like, you know, Amy was talking about for Asheville. We also have serve Asheville, which is our, where we work with multiple churches in the community serving Asheville together. And all of us wouldn't agree with everything that those other churches preach, but we all preach Jesus, right? The practices may be different. There may be little nuances that are different, but we can come together and celebrate Jesus together and work together, right? And those secondary issues may be issues why you choose the church that you choose to worship in, and that's fine. But then there's other issues My mentors call them tertiary issues. I think that's a really big word. I just call them other issues, right? That are less than that, less than secondary issues. And those are the issues where we can come together in the same congregation and worship Jesus together. Issues like political views. Issues like maybe even something theological like how we see the end times or not. Like like that stuff that we can come together and worship each other and pursue unity together. And those traditions that we hold on to fall into those secondary or other categories. Because if they move into the primary place, then they've become unhealthy. And that's what we're gonna see here. But notice what what else is here in this five. They say that they're not walking according to. And this, this phrasing means that the, the Pharisees and the scribes are telling Jesus that he and his disciples have made a habit out of this. Which may be true, but they don't know. They're there for one meal. And they make this accusation that we've seen them do this once and therefore we know they are always doing this. And this is, what, this is what unhealthy traditions also do. They don't just cause you to condemn, but unhealthy traditions cause us to think the absolute worst of someone that God calls us to love. We think the absolute worst of them. Anybody like worst case scenario thinkers? Here's the great thing about thinking about worst case scenario. If you dwell on that, like, 99% of the time, that doesn't happen, right? So you feel a little justified by it, right? It's not. Like, like, in unhealthy traditions, it causes us to think the worst of someone. Imagine thinking this. Imagine thinking that if Betty didn't make a standing rib roast for Christmas, does she even know the meaning of Christmas? <laughs> like, does she even know that as that medium-rare juice flips out, it represents the blood of Christ? Like... <laughs> Like, does she even know that? <laughs> right? It's stupid. Right? But this is what we're going to see. You know? Look at, look at what else it says. He says, according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. Y'all, this is where this unhealthy tradition comes to a head. Right, because it's the one that the Pharisees are holding on to too tightly, one of many. right? But we see where this started. The tradition of the elders mentioned something that later became what's called the oral tradition. It's these, these extra rules that the, uh, that the uh, Pharisees and the scribes passed down to obey God's law. And, and, it, and it was these oral traditions that they were speaking to. They weren't speaking to what was written in God's Word. They were speaking to these oral traditions. And these oral traditions weren't God's Word. They were based on God's Word. But here's what they had done. They had taken this oral tradition and made it equal with God's Word. That it was the same thing. If you broke one of these traditions of the elders, it was the exact same thing as breaking God's Word. So unhealthy traditions aren't found in God's Word, but they are made equal to God's Word, and that's what makes them unhealthy. Right? The Pharisees took what was What was true in God's word for the priest and made it true for everyone, what they declared as true through the oral tradition wasn't even found in the book of truth. Because they took this tradition and made it equal with God's word, which is why they use the word defiled, right? Defiled is this word of worship that if they don't wash their hands this way, they can't enjoy this meal and worship God. Right? And defiled was this word that was reserved for lepers. Right, If someone had a skin disease, they couldn't come into the temple because they were defiled, which, by the way, Jesus healed. It was, it was, it was for women and men who, who suffered diseases that caused them to bleed, right? And they couldn't come into the temple of God because they were defiled. They couldn't worship. Jesus healed them too. Here's the irony. The Pharisees are saying, listen, your disciples haven't washed their hands the way they're supposed to, so they can't worship God. And Jesus' disciples were having a meal with God. Right? That's the irony of this unhealthy tradition, is they couldn't even see the truth at this point. Which is what Jesus is going to pick up on. But church, do you see how dangerous these unhealthy traditions can be? Does any of this sound like something maybe you've done? right? Maybe in your thoughts, at least. Maybe you haven't said it out loud, right? Because we're good Christian people. Maybe you made it a prayer request for someone. Or maybe in the southern way, you started with bless their heart and then said it out loud. But mostly it's in our thoughts, right? It's in our heart. Look at what Jesus does in response. Verse 6, he says this. He says, And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. Ouch. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And so here's what Jesus does. He takes them to God's word, which is a Pharisee and a scribe would love that, right? Like, yes, finally, we're talking about God's word, right? And then they realize, oh, he's talking about us. He's not talking about his disciples. He's talking about us, saying that we aren't following God's word. And he tells them that in taking their traditions and putting them equal to God's word, they've actually left God's word behind. And then he goes on one more and gives them a specific example. Right, Watch this in verse 19. He said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must severely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down in many such things that you do. Now, let me explain this, because Corbin might be a new idea, right? Corbin means this word, dedicated to God. It's a it's a beautiful word, actually, in the fact that it means dedicated to God. But you see, this time, people didn't have retirement accounts, right? Like, if you grew old, your retirement account was your kids, right? And they worked to provide for you. Your time of working was over, either that or you just worked till you're dead, Right? But if you couldn't do that, it was up to your children to provide for you. And what was in the oral law, what was allowed, is that you could take, like, like if you had a certain amount of income, You could take and say, okay, this money goes to the church, this amount of money I need to live on, and this amount of money I should give to my mother and dad and honor them, but I'm going to declare it as Corbin. I'm going to declare this money as dedicated to God. The rest is either tithe or I need to live on it. This money that I could give to my parents, I'm going to say is dedicated to God. And And by doing that, you wouldn't have to give it to your parents. You wouldn't have to honor them. You wouldn't have to take care of them anymore. You left them on your own. And what that allowed people to do is it allowed them to be hypocrites. right? The word hypocrite means actor. right? It means to to look one way but to be another. And it allowed them to do that. It allowed them to look good and holy. Listen, I am giving this money to God. But it also allowed them to not live out God's word and take care of their parents. And that's what Jesus is telling them. By doing this, you've actually nullified, you've stepped away from the Word of God. Because taking care of your mom and dad, honor your mother and father, that's one of the top ten. right? It's in the Ten Commandments. And if you're you're not following that one, you're not going to follow any of them. And yet you do it based on this tradition so that you can still look holy. And he says that's wrong. You see... They were acting holy, but they weren't obeying God's word to honor their mother and father. And so Jesus now teaches the principle behind this to the Pharisees, right? Because he doesn't just want them to to give money to their parents at this point, right? There's something bigger here, which is why he says, listen, it's not only this. Y'all do all kinds of stuff like this. Look at what he says next. In verse 14, he says, And then he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Right? And so the Pharisees are looking at this thing all wrong. They're looking at at hands and they're looking at food. But Jesus is going to tell them that defilement, this ability to, to, to not worship God, actually comes from a very different place. Look at verse 16. He says, um, or verse 17, he says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, if you read the update... Um, and you, you read through, because in the update, I always start off with a little bit of what the sermon's going to be like, and a little, uh, at the end of my little write-up, I said, oh yeah, and Jesus talks about poop, and so, so are we. This is where Jesus talks about poop, y'all. That's what, that's what comes out of the body mean, right? Right? And he declares all foods clean. I want to, to explain that because what Jesus does here with, um, with the disciples and with those asking him questions is, is he goes back to the oral tradition and he says, hey, there's something that y'all all understand, right? And in doing this, like, he doesn't make all traditions bad, right? We're going to talk about healthy traditions at the end, but, but, but in doing this, he says, listen, even your oral tradition says this, because this is what the oral tradition said. It's awesome. Excrement isn't ritually impure, though it may be offensive. Right? Excrement means poop. Poop isn't ritually impure, though it may be offensive. Right? And let's be honest, some are more offensive than others. Right? Right? but it's right but it's not impure and so here's what jesus is saying right right he's saying that even if something goes into the body defiled even if a jewish person eats the wrong jewish food even if they don't wash their hands even if it goes into the body defiled it comes out clean right ritualistically speaking right And he's telling them that even in your oral law, you understand this idea of defilement isn't about what you put in your mouth. It isn't about your hands. It's about something else. It's about what comes out of the heart. Because this is why he says this in verse 20. He said, it is what comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. And all these things come from within and they defile a person. Right? And so what Jesus is showing us here is that disobedience comes from the heart, not the stomach. Right? Defilement is in in disobedience that it comes from... The heart, it comes from the thoughts. It doesn't come from food. And what Jesus is showing is that every sin starts with an idea. Right? It starts in our thoughts. It starts in our actions. And if we give that space, it turns into our character. Right? It starts there. Which is why the, 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 the practice of confession and repentance is so powerful because when we acknowledge what thoughts are tempting us, it eliminates their power by confessing that to God. And it stops it from becoming an action. You see, and that's what Jesus is saying, that the defilement starts in the heart, right? Not the hands, not the food. And see, church, when we hold on to traditions too tightly, We can think that disobedience is seen in a specific behavior, right? We can even think that disobedience and defilement is seen in a specific moment. But what Jesus is showing us is that it's so much bigger than that and so much better than that. It's about what happens in a person's heart. We question someone's salvation if they vote differently than we do, right? We've taken a tradition too far. We question someone's salvation if they raise their kids differently than we do. We've taken tradition too far. When they speak or practice their faith differently than ours, we question them. Maybe we've taken a tradition too far. You see, and it can be this dangerous slope that we find ourselves on. But here's what I find interesting, though. Jesus never said traditions are bad. He never said, don't have traditions, just do it the way I do it, right? Because he understood this book that we were going to have was going to stretch for who knows how, well, God knows how long, we don't. And he knew that these words of truth were going to spread to different cultures in different time periods and in, 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 in different seasons of life and he knew that these words were going to look different it looks different when i'm working in a village in africa than it does in asheville north carolina and it should but there are core beliefs that are the same and and jesus saying those traditions can be fine but they're unhealthy when they become equal with god's word right and so if you're wondering what makes a healthy tradition here's some how about this It's found in God's word. That makes it healthy. (laughs) Right? Like you can hold on to those. They represent the character of God. That's a good tradition. Does it allow us, does it allow you to bless and not condemn other Jesus followers? Does it allow you to bless and not condemn other Jesus followers? Does it help you fulfill Jesus' command to love one another and love your neighbor? So those are healthy traditions. And if they're not, we're taking communion. (laughs) That's why we do communion. Because you bring those unhealthy traditions and you let Jesus' blood and power forgive you, cleanse you, and purify you. You see, and as we go into communion, that's what I want us to do is I want us to take some time before the Lord, you and Jesus, and confess where you've held on to traditions too tightly. Where have you condemned other genuine Jesus followers because they're different than you? That's a tradition. But I don't want you to stop there. This is where I want you to dig deep. Because church... What I want you to do is I want you to evaluate what's behind that tradition. Where is their pride in your heart that says you're better than them? That you love Jesus more than them? Or maybe that Jesus loves you more than them? Where is your jealousy that's behind that? What is behind that? Because that's where repentance happens. Repentance isn't just about changing the behavior. That's great. It's about dealing with the the thought and the belief behind that behavior that fuels it. That's what Jesus was doing with the Pharisees. That's what I want us to do here. And so so what we're going to do, the the band's going to come up and, and play some music as we think and as we pray. When you're ready, come on up and get the cup and the elements. When everybody has done that, we're going to sing a song together and then take the elements after the song. So don't open it yet. Wait until after we sing the the first song. So let me pray for us. They're going to play some music to give you time and space to ask those questions of the Holy Spirit to show you. Jesus, I ask that you would do that. Show us the things that we need to confess. And may your Holy Spirit do what your Holy Spirit does and convict us where we need conviction. Where is there jealousy in our hearts? Where is there pride in our hearts? Where is there spiritual blindness? Would you remove the things that blind us so that we can see? Where is there envy? Where is there sensuality that that fuels our behavior? Where is there... Lust fueling our behavior. Jesus, would you show us what's going on in our hearts so that we can confess that to you and turn away from it and instead turn to you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's uh, take the elements together. We'll start with the, the bread. When Jesus gathered with his disciples, um, this is what he did: is he had the Passover meal, and we know it as the, the Lord's Supper. Right? They were they were having their regular tradition, right during Passover, and Jesus took that tradition and spoke to it, and said, actually, it's more uh, than just a meal together. It's a picture of him and what he's doing for them. And he held up the bread. And if you've gone through the Passover, it was a very significant piece of bread. But he held it up and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the the wine. And again, it was a very specific glass of wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. And in the New Testament, we're commanded to do this to remember. To remember that Jesus' body was broken and blood was shed so that we could have a good and right and personal relationship with the God who loves us and the God who made us. And through that blood, we come together and worship and we pray. Jesus, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.